There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This is The Mentor with Mark Burris. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Mentor. One of the trends we're seeing a lot of with business at the moment is the increase in outsourcing work. Hiring people to do things we used to do ourselves, from cooking, cleaning, gardening, and I know I'm one of them, everything can now be done with someone else doing it for you. So today our guests come from two ends of the outsourcing spectrum to talk about their businesses, and first up is Brendan Green, CEO and owner of Hire a Hubby, which provides all kinds of handyman services, renovations, and commercial fit-outs. They've been around for about 20 years now, and I've heard of them, actually. I've often wondered what they did. So I'm actually very keen today to find out what's changed over that time, over that 20-year period since Hire a Hubby started. Then later on, I'll be talking to Barbara Turley, who founded Virtual Angel Hub. They provide virtual assistance to any business that needs it, staff that work either full-time or part-time, helping you with admin, HR, marketing, and any kind of assistance your business needs. I'm looking forward to talking to her today as well. Okay, let's get into it. Okay, hire a hubby. I love the name. Um, I've often wondered what it, what it does, but it has 352 franchises around Australia, and joining me in the studio is the owner and CEO, Brendan Green. Welcome to The Mentor, Brendan. Thanks for having me, Mark. You're welcome, mate. Uh, hire a hubby. Uh, I, I sort of remember when it first set up, I mean, it was be a long time ago, and uh, I, I thought to myself, it's a clever name, very clever name. Um, I guess you, you've probably got lots of jibes and people making funny jokes about what the hub, hubby is actually going to do when he goes around there. But what was the original concept? Um, look, back in the, the time when it was first created, it was a guy in Melbourne who came up with a concept. I actually bought it off him uh, a year in. Um, but what was happening back in the time was people were outsourcing things like lawns and gardens, and that was about it. Um, what he did was take that concept and just add another little piece to it, which was providing general, simple handyman services. And uh, it was his wife having coffee with uh, one of her girlfriends, and she quipped that um, Richard, the founder, was uh, quite handy. Uh, can I hire your hubby one weekend? Um, they saw the name, the opportunity, and put the two together, and that's how the name was born. It's as simple as that. Uh, it was as simple as that. And uh, the concept being is hubby's a good good handyman. Um yeah, well, that, that was probably the notion back a couple of generations ago, Mark. I think right now, um, you know, we're just talking outside. Everyone's so time poor. Um, there's been a lot of emphasis on kids going through and finishing year 12, going into university. Therefore, there's been a massive drop off in those doing trades. Um, consequentially, the uh, lack of people out there with the ability to do this work now is growing. And we've just tapped into a market that's just, yeah flourishing for us uh, every other day, week and month. So it is a franchise business. So uh, let's say... Um, uh, 
I don't know, let's say I decide I want to go into this. Anyone, can anyone do it? Look, you've got to have the basic skill set to be a handyman. So you couldn't come in and, uh, and be trained up from scratch. It's for people that have obviously had somewhere along their lives. Yeah, we've had guys that have grown up, they might have been in farming environments. They've moved to the big smoke. They've changed careers and ended up wearing the white collar. Um, something changes in their life. It's time to do something for them and the family. So they get out of the, the big city again and the, the long hours buy himself a franchise and then they you know, revert back to that old skill set that they had from yesteryear. Um, we then put them through a training course. Um, we bring them out of a training course. They have a cert one in construction to, to back them up from that point. And then they can career path from there into cert two construction, cert three carpentry, kitchen, bathroom, laundry renovations. And that sort of tops out our offer. Uh, we don't want to go and build a house for you or an extension, but we'll do anything from putting up a picture hook to remodeling your bathroom, kitchen, build a deck or a pergola. And, and, and okay, so like that, that's it's sort of interesting. It, it's not sort of very interesting, actually. I mean, I, I get the outsourcing demand. There is so you know, you guys have recognised there's massive demand out there in Australia for a whole lot of reasons for um, uh, what would ordinarily would happen in the the household, where the man or the woman would be doing the you know putting the nail on the wall or fixing up the kitchen. It's because everyone's too busy working. There's a demand now to get someone outside to come and do that. I've got that, um, and it's gone beyond now. Um, uh, just putting a nail on the wall, as you say, it's now renovating kitchens, bathrooms, and a few of those sorts of things. But it doesn't probably doesn't go beyond that. No, not um, typically. Yeah, it does it do backyard stuff. Like yeah, absolutely. Lawns, I mean, lawns and gardens are sort of yeah. If they're big jobs, more one off. Our guys will step into that. Um, the sort of rates that our guys are earning isn't sort of in line with what you know you're going to get paid to do lawns and gardens. So we steered clear of it. We, when I took over the business back in '97, I saw that. There were so many people competing in that space, so price was the obvious thing to compete on. Um, we saw more and more people wanting more of the handyman and beyond, so we cut the lawns and gardens out of the offer and stepped into that repairs, maintenance, handyman, renovation space, and that was probably the best thing we did because it clearly differentiated us from the rest, and as a consequence, we've pretty much owned the market for the last you know, 15, 20 years. Because I remember many years ago, Rodney Adler set up a business called Skilled, um, and it was a franchise business, and and actually I think it was listed or was in a listed entity at one stage on stock exchange, and that would have been in the um, maybe late eighties, early nineties, and skilled was as opposed to the skill that exists today. Skilled then was um, people like you were just saying, mostly tradesmen, yeah. and um, I'm not sure if it was a, a franchise system, but it was maybe slightly ahead of its time. But um, I I. I would like you to explain to people who are listening to us um, who are maybe um, thinking about having an idea that they have franchised like you're doing, how does it work? Does like uh, Let's say I want to get um, something nailed into my wall or I want a new kitchen. Do I email your organisation, the head office, and you then push the inquiry out to the person who um, has the franchise in the particular postcode? How, how does it actually work? How, how does it go from inquiry to being executed. Yeah, exactly as you described, Mark. Um, we have uh, primarily two points of contact for new customers. Uh, what's becoming old school now, I guess, is the call centre um, because mostly everything's done online. Um, all of the lead generation is typically done online. That filters through the website. Our back-end um, allocation engine allocates the lead to either the owner of the territory or a series of franchisees who are closest if the territory is not yet uh, owned by a franchisee. So uh, it might bounce around a couple of times before it gets to the, uh, the person who says yes. 
from the moment they accept the job, it then drops into, we, we've got an IT solution that runs on the Salesforce platform and they capture every bit of activity from that point forward with the customer. So if Mark's my customer, um, I'll initially create a quote for you on the first job you want me to look at. That'll be forwarded out to you via email. There's an auto follow-up process to see if you're interested in going ahead. Booked into an online uh, work calendar, work order sent to either the franchisee or worker that he assigns to the job. And they just continue to trade with you, you know, directly. So second time, third time round, you'll just call him back on mobile, direct via email to log your next job. And the relationship is then built between franchisee and customer. And well, I don't know if this is the case, but do you get a, a clip of every job or do you just get a franchise fee? or a, a... We, We've gone with the franchise fee model, so yeah. a, a monthly fee. Yep. Um, so we're, hard we're to manage in... the clip, isn't it? Well, in, in certain industry spaces, you might say it is. Yeah. Um, so we've uh, we've accepted that probably for us the easiest way to, to run this business and encourage our guys to work harder if they want to, uh, the harder they work in our case, the, the more they earn. So with our flat fee system, to give you an example, um, end of May, one of our franchisees in Cairns turned over a million dollars for the year and he's going to pay the same management fee to us every month as a guy who might turn over half a million in the year. So the incentive for him is absolute. Um, for us, we've got a guaranteed baseline that we know we're going to earn. It's not our only revenue stream, but that's a, a banker for us that's there every month. Okay, so for those people listening, so what what we're talking about here is how you make money out of a franchisee, and in, in the case of Hire a Hubby, it's because there's probably, dare I say, cash involved um, um, and or – you know, uh, how do you monitor whether they've done a job? And of course, if you send a if you send the job out to somebody and that person wants to treat with a deal with that individual privately, like without going through the head office, you've got no way of monitoring that stuff. Well, yeah, it's look, too hard. So you better off just take a pla- what you call a platform fee or a, yeah, a, it's a, a management a, fee. A management fee yeah. for them using your being on your platform, correct? Operating under your under uh, your license or your brand. Um, and being part of your system and being part of the greater system. Yeah, that's, that, there's, there's no reason for them not to put everything through the Hira Hubby books. There's no need to have a second set because there's, you know, they're not dodging a fee by doing it yeah. that way. So um, what happens then is inherently they build value into their business because everything goes through, everything. I mean, there's, there's two key dates in your business, as you know, the day you start and the day you end. And the day you end, you want to maximise your return. The only way you're going to do that is to show the true value that's occurred along the way. And, and what you're talking about here is um, – uh, we're not, and for people listening, um, how you maximise the value. One of the great things about being a, a franchisee is that you're running your own business, A, so you have sort of a bit of freedom, but for those, by the, by the way, we'll say you do not have any more freedom. You actually work harder and longer. Um, but it doesn't matter. You work for yourself, and that's a great thing. But you actually own the goodwill. So when the day comes that you want to retire or you want to just don't want to be involved in this business anymore, you can sell it. Yeah, yeah? absolutely. So, so you endorse that sale. Do you, oh, absolutely. Do, 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 do you agree to buy it. back or? No, we typically actually act as a broker. Yeah. Um, what we found is, I mean, you know, on day one of a franchise business, you know, we need the value uh, 20 years in. So yeah. uh, I think our initial offer was $16,000 to buy a franchise and we we're basically giving them away. Uh, average price now is probably closer to $8,500,000 to get into the business. So somebody who got in 10 years ago, who's been on that journey north, um, their new benchmark for value is what we set the new franchise territories at. So add that goodwill component that you mentioned before, and it's you know, our price plus. Yeah. So the better they do, the better their books look. Um, yeah, obviously, you've got to allow time because you can't just sell the business tomorrow because you want to. You've got to find the right buyer. Um, you've got to find that buyer with the right investment capacity as well. So uh, it's the combination of those things that will get you the outcome moving forward. So 
again, I mean, uh, uh, I don't want to keep saying um, Brendan because most, but I'm just, our consumers are learning in this conversation. Yeah. Um, what you're saying is um, the the way someone works out what the value of his or her business is after they've been a franchisee for a number of years and they decide they want to get out is one the the starting point is um, the eighty five thousand dollars that you just gave an example of. That's the starting. That's first amount of money that is someone's going to pay to buy their business because yep. that's the cost of getting into a franchise. Any, a new franchise plus the uh, valuation of the business that this particular individual has built up in that particular area. That's certainly how we do it, Mark, yeah, yes. Yeah, and that makes sense. So therefore there's an incentive for the franchisee to work really hard to build up value. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and look, probably taking that word work hard, I mean, obviously early days, we all know as business owners you've got to roll the sleeves up and put in. Um, we've certainly tried to develop a culture because we've seen a burnout factor in the business. Um, yeah, the, the guys who win franchisee of the year in the second and third year are falling on their feet, um, fourth and fifth year because they've burned out if they don't put the right support structures in. Um, we've got some admin service relief that we provide the guys. We've got a HR service to help them build up and put some staff in underneath them. And the guy I mentioned, uh, just by example in Cairns, who's turned over a million bucks, took a seven week holiday in the U S in the middle of that. And he's three years into the business. So um, work hard, but work smart is certainly something we're trying to encourage the guys to do because you lose too many good guys to burn out if you, you don't have that. Certainly from a support team perspective, we're pushing our guys to push the franchisees to think about begin the year by booking out the holidays you're going to take, work your budget out around how many weeks you've got left to achieve the financial outcome you're after so you at least get the, the balance of some time off with family, friends, etc. Work hard for the remaining weeks that you're around to earn the quid. And do you um, have... Um well, in my case, in Big Road, we're franchise business. We have what are called business development BDMs. We yeah. go, who basically a relationship. People go around and they've they're in charge of maybe twenty or thirty, in our case, thirty five franchises each or something like that. Um, and they're basically going to each of the franchise owner and uh, sitting down talking to them and seeing how they're going. And we go through budgets with them, help yeah. prepare business plans and all that sort of stuff. Um, we have our end of year mm-hmm. conferences where everyone gets prizes and you know we get everyone together and they have a good time together. Um, I, I guess you're running all those sort of. Yeah. It's called typical programs. I was going to say, same process, different badge. Um, yeah. We put the guys through their induction training course like you would uh, with yeah. Yellow Brick. Um, they come out, we put them into a, a program we call Forming Good Habits um, for 12 weeks, which is just to get them into the routine things that they should do every week and understand the operational benchmarks. Um, we're in a business where you provide quotes and the number of guys who will do a quote and wipe the brow and say, fantastic, that job's done, forgetting the follow-up that goes with actually winning the quote that you put the effort into uh, in the first place. So getting them to do that sort of stuff and do it quickly enough, um, we know there's a 20% higher close rate on those that are followed up in the first week than those that are left go after that because – yeah, first up customers with us, they want something done. They want it done quickly. Those who respond with a reasonable price in a you know, short time frame, they win the business. So get them into that habit. Um, because of the nature of what we do, you know, people are leaving an industry that they've been comfortable in, moving to something completely different. So all they're focused on in training, as much as we try to train them in a, a wide range of things, they want to get the quote right. So they win the business and make some money. So we get them after 12 weeks and put them into a business 101. And brings them back to the basics of running the business and then looking at the, the financial numbers rather than the operational numbers. Put them into a support group at week 16. So they you know, uh, sit around the table once a quarter with seven or eight mates that are of similar sort of stage in business or style of business. Um, they've got a field manager, much like what you talked about with your BDM. 
Um, those guys are responsible to chair the meeting, record the notes and takeaways, and then each of the individuals have a plan for the next three months, which gets followed up with an individual phone call monthly between the quarterly catch-up as a support group. And this so, is stuff they pay for. I mean, that's, 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 that's what, what your the management month, fee's paying that's, that's for. That's what the monthly fee's yeah, for. Yeah. And, 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 and conference and, as well, like you said, uh, just to celebrate the successes of those who were the best of the best. Yeah, we, I've just come from one of those over, over in Indonesia. You've got to do this sort of stuff. Um, you know, it's it's – the, the whole franchise system is is very collegiate and you've got to – you, the head franchisor, you've got to build the, the collegiate view. Yeah. You've got to just keep espousing why it's important to be all together, hang together. And uh, do you have any competition? Is there a competitor out there that you're looking over your shoulder at? You're always looking over your shoulder. <coughs> There's been a few that have come. Um, some have adopted models that are not dissimilar to some established brands out there that you know, started off in the lawns and garden space and then tried to you know, move into sort of multi um, – industry types. Uh, so we've, we've had an eye on one or two there. I've actually had a couple of my former staff decide that they might do it a bit better. So they've gone out and had a crack. Um, thankfully at this stage, we've still got a reasonable lead in the marketplace, but we're, uh, we're not conceded in terms of where we sit at the moment. I mean, uh, it's a very innovative business that we run. Um, Technology has been at the forefront. Um, support services for the franchisees to reduce that burnout and give them their life back has been a real key play. Um, so we're going to keep pushing that way. We're like you, we've got our conference coming. We've got about 400 people going to Hobart in a couple of months. So, uh, we held one in Hobart in February. Yeah. That's great. Actually, we, we had our conference in Hobart. We had 500 people in Hobart yeah. in, uh, um, uh, in February. Yeah. It was, it's a great venue. Yeah. We, we thought, um, we try and mix it up. We were in Vietnam last year and we've you know, been to Uluru year before and we've been to Bali and a couple yeah. other places. So uh, I think it's just a... We've got it into the culture now where it's part of the vernacular. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll do that after conference. I'll see you at conference and we'll chat about that. So yeah. it's now that annual thing that the guy in Cairns and the guy in Hobart, the guy in Broome and the guy in Bunbury, they're all talking about the fact that that's where we all congregate once a year and uh, it's just part of what we do now. And and can you – what do you – I mean, obviously you've been a, a student then of the outsourcing concept. Yeah. What do you think it is driving it? Like what, what, what are your observations? Probably going back to what I said before about the, the lack of trade skills that exist in blokes these days, and I hate to be sexist there, but I mean, the, the, typical, well, the stereotypical thing that we saw early days was that it, it is the thing that most young blokes were grabbed by the uh, dad by the ear down the back shed and you were taught to do all that stuff around the home. just doesn't seem to be happening there. Um, there are obviously Well, they don't have back sheds. Yeah, well, there's, there's a bit of that. Um, but I think there's also this whole... Um, such a fast-paced world that we live in now. Everything's instant. You know, the the smartphone gives you every bit of information you want right here, right now, and people now want whatever they want fixed. In our case, done right here, right now. And is it as pri- is it price sensitive, or not as price sensitive? Or is it more about instantaneous? Oh, look, I think you'd be surprised um, at how we, we were in a situation. We knocked back three hundred jobs in one month in Sydney. Um, the couple of key pockets, um, eastern suburbs, being one of those, and. Um, rather than say no to these customers, you know, we usually send our franchisees out to give a quote. So we started you know, quoting a call out over the phone just to see if we could maintain the customer base. And we were getting twice what our franchisees' average first hour rate was by quoting over the phone just to test the market. So um, price is not a, a real issue. It's speed. Um, I think it's comfort as well. I mean, you know, our brand's been around for 20 yeah. years. So if they're coming to us, they know that it's not the cheapest product in the market, but it's probably more premium on the basis that our work is guaranteed by us as the franchisor. So if you're the franchisee going out there, if something happens where the job's not done to the satisfaction of the customer, we're going to stand behind yeah. and warrant that work. That's very important. Yeah. So police checks, <clears throat> photo ID, um, the fact that our guys are licensed, they've got white cards, 
they tick a lot of boxes for those who are discerning in their purchase decisions. So, yeah, and you're not thinking to yourself, oh, I've just let it, it's something to do a whole lot of work and they've been casing the joint. Yeah, well, you've got and a if, copy. If they do, if they do, I'm going to always ring Brendan up. Yeah, well, not only that, you've got a copy of his photo <coughs> on his ID card. So um, we're fairly comfortable that that's ticking boxes for the customers that we want to service. I'm lucky I've got a, a sort of a, a roustabout bloke who does a lot of those things for me here in Sydney, but... Uh, like I know that often friends of mine sort of say, oh, you know, like, do you know someone who can come in and put put some paintings up on the wall? Yeah. You know, because it, 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 it sounds like a pretty simple thing, but you don't want to ruin the wall and yeah. you've got oh, to hang them in the right – if you've got two, you want them all to be lined up and you, it'd be nice if you had one of those laser uh, measurers and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Um, and not all of us have one of those in our top drawer. And and quite frankly, out, outside of the guy that works for me, his name's Nick, but outside of the guy who works for me, I wouldn't know how to – I wouldn't even know how to look a, a, a guy up, a handyman up. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean I, maybe you'd think about looking up on the internet and look up handyman and in the, in the area you live in. But then you say, so how's this guy or this woman here better than that one? Like you wouldn't know. I, I just in a just in a phenomenon sense, are you getting more women applying to become franchisees? Yeah, um, we got a lot of women involved in the business, and again, not to be sexist, a lot of them um, have been becoming involved in the admin side. There are a few who will go out on the tools in um, in various sort of skill sets. Um, it's not the typical environment where I mean, you'd say ninety nine percent of our inquiries from males. Um, but one of the key things we've done over the last since 2013, was increase the admin service support for the guys so they can dictate a quote in its content into a voice app and send that as a message back to an admin person who plugs the earphones in, taps it into the computer system for, for them, sends the quote to the customer, then follows that quote up, schedules the work for the franchisee, invoices it after it's done, puts the receipt information in, and they become more hands-on, get the job done, reduce the time in the back office. So you get to summer and you've got daylight saving and plenty of hours to be outside doing this sort of work. What we didn't want our guys to, to do was come home at 7, 8 o'clock and sit down after a, a quick bite to eat and have two hours worth of paperwork to do yeah, because punish. it just, just kills them. Yeah, yeah, so, no, 100%. So do you charge extra for that? or is it Yeah, look, yeah. it's an outsourcing again, funny yeah, enough. So yeah. um, it started off with one wife of a franchisee doing it for her husband and now she's got seven staff and uh, 25 franchisee customers plus a bunch of other trades doing it. So um, we've actually developed um, an IT business that sits beside Hira Hubby now, which is an end-to-end franchise solution with a, a trade app as well. So not only will we you know, provide that type of service to our own network, but it's going to extend now out to the greater trade network. Because- and do you do all the buying for them, Brendan? I mean, uh, let's say the trader needs to buy, you know, timber, blah, blah, or do you just say, look, you go and find it oh, We've got preferred relationships. <clears throat> I mean, Bunnings is the biggest player in Australia, obviously, in that space. So we've got a very tight relationship with those guys. And um, when you join the business, um, you're given a bunch of discount structures that you tap into immediately just by the virtue of being part of the brand. And that's certainly um, one of the, the key strategic partnerships we've got with Hira Hubby. For those people who are listening, how many years is this? 20 years. Okay. So those people who are listening, um, I think a really important point that comes out of this, I mean, it's obviously Brendan looks like it sounds like a very polished business and, you know, he knows exactly all these things about his business, but I'm sure if you go back 19 years, um, that wasn't the case. Um, and I think uh, listeners are going to understand if you're a, a budding entrepreneur and you want to get into a business like this or a business which has franchising involved or just a, a new startup of any type, don't think it's going to be an overnight success. Generally speaking, the people I speak to in this show and my own experience is these things take years and years and years and years to get them right. There's yeah. very few people who um, create things overnight and are an overnight success in uh, even three or four years, even five years. It's rare. 
extremely rare. And the business evolves. Absolutely. It doesn't it's probably there's probably a very little resemblance, Brendan, today of Hire Hubby compared to what it was 20 years ago. Oh, it's nothing like it. I mean, start with my meals, baked beans on toast is something that's a rarity now rather than staple diet. So yeah. uh, echoing your point about the overnight success. Uh, but no, look, we were, um, yeah, we were a triplicate, triplicate invoice pad and a, a, a pink trailer driving around and, um, yeah, I mean, just technology's changed. Um, we've grown as a business. We've brought good people into the business as franchisees, good people in as staff and, you know, encouraging those guys to take an active role in developing parts of the business that if you try to do it all by yourself, well, you know, you're limited to that one person's effort. So, you know, we've got a staff of about 40, 45 and, you know, some really good minds in there and they're encouraged to take a lead and they're as responsible as me these days for growing it to bigger and better levels. So, Well, congratulations. It's a, it's a great brand. It's a great business and it's on the cusp of uh, – a big change in our, uh, our our social environment, the way we operate, and uh, well done. And thank as you. I usually do, I offer everybody an opportunity to ask me a question if they've got a question. Yeah, well, thank you, mate. Oh, look, um, I mentioned I've got an IT startup at the moment, and whilst it's underpinned by the use that we have at Hira Hubby, we're looking to get out. And IT is one of those spaces where you need to develop quickly. Um, we're trying to find some partners in the marketplace to bring some money into to build that up, so we don't get overrun by someone with bigger pockets, deeper pockets than us. So just curious on where to go or your advice on who are the right people to talk to, to raise some funds for a startup, because obviously it doesn't have the traction of a 20-year business. Um, it's got some big plans and we're just looking to find the best is it, way. Is it in the same space? Yeah, look, so it's a, um, it's a cloud-based franchise end-to-end management solution, which is no... For, for managing franchises yeah. of any type? Yep, absolutely. Okay. Uh, and it also has a component on the end where you can conduct the trading piece, which is, you know, in our case, what the, the Harahubi guys go out and provide you with a quote and an invoice, but you could do that in the printing industry, the signage industry, or anything else that prepares a quote as well. So we're just looking to... to so it's an IT point. solution. It is, absolutely. IT solution for franchising businesses yeah. who want to outsource all those administrative things that they would ordinarily do so they can just do the real business. Well, manage it end-to-end. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, from recruiting the franchisee in the first instance, managing a compliance with the code of conduct underpinning it, as you know, with Yellow Brick Road, um, all the way through to onboarding, training and having records of, um, yeah, so we keep all of that contained in one spot. So it's a single source of truth from the time the guy first inquires about a franchise to the day he leaves. So we're uh, we're looking to get some. Well, I think some so. I, I, th- I think t- the two organisations I would recommend the first one would be Blackbird, but and the second one who I'm good friends with is Airtree Ventures, um, and that's um, Daniel Petrie. Um, right, okay. And uh, Daniel, I go, and I go back a long time. Daniel was on my board at Wizard many many years ago, and he was first brought to into these environments by Kerry Packer, and Kerry got him to set up E Corp. Um, or in fact, he took the E Corp idea to Kerry Packer. Daniel's an ex Microsoft executive, high up executive. Um, brilliant guy, um, great person, and uh, just recently raised, I think, two, another $200 million for venture capital um, and is a big investor in very early stage ventures. Right, okay. Um, he obviously, like good venture capitalists, he likes to invest in people who have proven track records and you're someone who can um, lean on your 20-year proven track record at Hire a Hubby and your expertise is clearly in this uh, franchise support business because that's why Hire a Hubby is so good. Apart from it being a good notion, a good idea in a rising demand area, it's it ex- got to execute and execution comes down to the back end. So obviously you're taking that back end now and you're saying, okay, I'm going to take it out into the marketplace. Yeah, exactly. Um, basically, yeah. And I'm going to, you're going to use the old multiplier effect and, and good on you. Um, so I, I would recommend someone like Daniel Petrie from Airtree Ventures. Okay. 
Daniel's very good. I mean, he gets he gets to look at a lot of deals. Um, and one thing is for sure, if um, he likes your deal, he'll support your deal in the early stages. But also, what's important is the the next stage when you know there's always usually more than one r- investment round. And what's important is in the second investment round, assuming he's happy, he's always a good guy who will underpin the second investment round. And okay. second investors like to know the first investor is still in there and still yeah, is still okay. part of the deal. Um, so I I think, you know, my experience with someone like Daniel Petrie is that he's probably one of the best out there at, at Airtree Ventures. Fantastic. And, Thank you. and I know they've got money to invest because okay. they just raised it late, late advice. last year. Thank you. Good on you. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Up next on The Mentor, I'll chat with the founder of a virtual assistant business, and that is a business that provides remote staff to help businesses with all kinds of admin. Stay tuned. Okay, Barbara Turley, a young Irish lass sitting here in front of me, found a virtual angel hub in 2015 after realising lots of businesses she was working with didn't have the time to do the admin to support their strategies to grow the business. Really important point, to grow the business. And I now want to know all about this, Barbara. Welcome to The Mentor. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be on the show. Now, just tell me, or tell everyone who's listening especially, exactly what is a virtual assistant? Do you know that is like the number one question that everybody wants answered? Um, Interestingly, virtual assistant is a very broad term. There's actually something, I mean, there's like a hundred different definitions of what is a virtual assistant. So the first thing to know is that it, it does span across a lot of different sectors. It depends what industry that you're actually in. So you can have virtual just, it really only means that they're not in the same office as you. So this person could be a bookkeeper. It could be somebody who's doing legal services for you and they just happen to be in a different location. Now, in terms of what we do, um, virtual assistance in terms of Virtual Angel Hub is we help small, mainly small to medium businesses with their general admin in the office. Now, they are virtual, but we also do social media content management, uh, managing WordPress blogs and stuff like that. And we do marketing automation uh, systems. So we we play quite heavily in the digital marketing implementation sort of space. So let's say, um, let's say I'm a, a plumber in Penrith. And I've got a business and I'm doing, you know, all the work there and, uh, you know, I'm advertising locally and I've got three or four plumbers working for me. Obviously, I like to market, um, but I'm a plumber. I've got no idea about social media. Um, Not that plumbers don't know anything about social media, but in this example, I don't know anything about social media. Um, I'm no good at um, making sure all my appointments are done properly, et cetera, et cetera. Is that something, would you be able to help me? Yes, so we would help and the, and I'm really glad that you brought up the I don't know anything about social media part because often we do find clients coming to us saying exactly what you've just said. The trick with a virtual assistant, and here's the biggest tip of the day, is to remember that they are an assistant. So if you don't know what you're doing yourself, they're sort of waiting for you to tell them what you need done and then they're going to implement it for you. So somebody who really doesn't know what they want done can find it very hard to work with a virtual assistant. So we always recommend it's probably a good idea to have a strategist or a coach and then an an assistant to implement. Because when you work with a business coach, often they give you like a whole list of stuff that needs to be done Mm. and you just don't have the time. You know, you're running your business. It's a great idea then to have a virtual assistant that can actually implement all this stuff that needs to be done. So where do they, where do, where do, so I'm the plumber. Mm. Do you, do you have people you recommend for me to go and talk to who's going to build my strategy or my business coach? Someone's going to actually give me the, the structure which I then hand over to 
you guys to implement? Yeah, so we do. We've got a couple of referral partners that we would um, refer people to. I mean, there's lots of people out there. Are but there we, such people? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There's there's online strategists. We've got like product launch strategists. We've got digital marketing strategists and more traditional type business coaches that we can um, help people to work with. We don't, they're not part of Virtual Angel Hub, but we know that this is an area our clients typically will need help with. So we refer them on to other people. Now, the other thing we do at Virtual Angel Hub that is quite um, different from a lot of our competitors is we saw this problem obviously coming. We saw clients having this problem. So what we've done is actually built an entire library of processes, step-by-step maps and we train all of our VAs on our specific processes and then we give those to the client. So with social media, for example, we have a full process already built that all of our VAs are trained on. So that helps massively to bridge the gap. If you don't really know what you're doing, we can just say, well, you could just use our strategy. Right. Now, we still think it's probably a good idea to know something or get a strategist, but yeah, we do that. So because like I don't see I think every small business today should have a website. And I think every small business today, even if it's just to get people, give their recommendations and say, you know, the, the service was good or bad or otherwise, um, you know, just that, that personal recommendation process is pretty powerful. And I think that, therefore, if they're going to have a website, they might as well do a bit of um, marketing, um, particularly if, uh, you know, they're, they're in a, either a retailer or they've got products that, with, with a bit of colour that they can actually put on Instagram or that look at, that are interesting, you know, that sing a bit. Um, so, but most of these people not only do that, don't have the skill to implement, um, but they don't have the time. They don't have the time. Cause they, I, I was actually just saying to someone earlier today, we actually don't sell virtual assistants. We sell time mm. because the big thing that people actually want is time. Mm. And you know, how I actually started this business was I was a business coach. And the one problem I saw every client I worked with having I kept saying to them, I mean, the problem, you sort of know what you want to do here, but you've got no time. That's the big problem. So I started recruiting virtual assistants in the Philippines to help them out. And before I knew it, I was just getting flooded with people asking more for virtual assistants than business coaching. So I just decided, well, I'm just going to build this business called Virtual Angel Hub. And that's how it started. So how, I said at the beginning, it was how many years have you been going, going now? We're, uh, we just ticked into three years in March. But really, if I'm honest, the first year was a kind of a disaster. So I would say we're more like a two-year in business now. Yeah, and disaster being meaning what? Oh, look, you know, I know people running small businesses will love to hear that, you know, the war stories, but... I started out and I was recruiting VAs, they're called. So let's use the, the short term from here. Um, and I, I, like I said, the first problem that I unearthed, and as they say in business, you've got to find a problem that people are having that they'll literally fall over themselves to pay you money to fix today. Mm. So I found that problem and it was that people had no time. So I would recruit VAs for them. And then I unearthed the second problem that came with that that was much bigger. And the problem really was that once they got the VA, they had no idea how to delegate or how to run a team or how to actually communicate effectively with somebody in a virtual scenario. So the first six months of the business, uh, you know, look, and, and also the third problem was that a lot of the VAs coming in had the same problem on their side. They weren't trained enough. They sort of said they knew how to do stuff that really... They needed more training and they needed help to communicate with the client more effectively to, for both to get success. So from that, after six months of constant problems, you know, complaints, HR issues, etc., 
apart from nearly having a nervous breakdown, I decided to, to that I, I thought I'm, I'm either going to have to close this business or I'm going to have to totally reinvent it. So we literally sacked about 70% of the, the VAs. We got rid of a lot of the clients. No offence to any of the clients, but we had to get rid of some clients. We had to figure out who really was the client that was perfect for us. And then we rebuilt our HR and recruiting process in the Philippines and we built a rock solid training program for the VAs and for the client that we make everybody go through so that we can match them properly and get proper success. So you've, you've built a, a marketplace yes. for VAs uh, and small business owners. Small business owners, yeah. Yeah. So you built a marketplace, which is a pretty pretty typical of the way things are today. And I often say this, the way the world is, is we are deconstructing traditional businesses into all its various parts, marketing, product, service, administration, and we're taking the product and service piece out, we're leaving that with the traditional business owner and all those other parts we're actually farming out to other people who are expert at it who can also have build an economy of scale such that they can provide a better service. So in your case, you, you might, you, you know, like, let's say I'm the plumber guy and I have to go and hire somebody to do what you could offer. I'm going to have to pay the person maybe $80,000 perhaps a year. I might have to have two people, uh, an 80,000 person and a 40,000 person. My business doesn't justify that. But I can go to you. You can employ those people, but the reason you can employ those people is because you've got three of me to to, uh, push against that one cost. So this creates enormous efficiency. So these deconstruction processes actually build enormous efficiencies, um, um, monetary efficiencies, which is sort of what you've tapped into here. Yeah. You've built a business which taps into the um, efficiency that's created by you having an economy of scale, which ordinarily a small business owner would not have. Yeah, and also, you know, we what I've really enjoyed about this business is that because I was a business coach before, Um, And I also came from corporate, so I came out of investment banking and I had a lot of experience with, you know, big systems, big teams, virtual. We had a lot of virtual teams in global banking systems. Um, But I actually really enjoy now being able to push a lot of ideas to a lot of clients without being a personal coach for all of them. So we push ideas down through the teams of VAs, new stuff that's happening, and we get them to go to the client and say, do you want us to implement this? We also have a help desk and a support team that, you know, help so sometimes you, you might get one VA with us, but there's like four people in the background on the help desk that might be collaborating with them on, a, on something you're trying to implement in your particular business. Do you get a dedicated VA? Like, do, yes. do I get to know the person? We do dedicated staff. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. there's two or three or a small team. Yeah, so usually, I mean, the great thing for us at the moment is what we're seeing, and this is great for Australia because sometimes, you know, we've got global clients, but... We, sometimes there's backlash with outsourcing, let's be honest, especially offshore, because yeah. local people are saying that we're taking jobs. Yeah. So, But what we've really seen is that the businesses that have come to us would maybe have failed had they not come to us in the first place, or at the very least, the business owner would have had a crash. And then what we've seen is they've grown with us and now they're hiring salespeople in Australia or they're hiring more high value stuff mm. here and creating jobs, which has been an amazing thing for me to kind of be part of creating that. And... and uh how do you charge? I mean, how, how does it work? Like, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, again, I'm the plumber guy, and I decide I want to use your your um, services. Um, how do I how do I pay? How do you charge? Is it per hour or per minute or per no per so month or? 
We make it nice and easy. So we deal in dedicated staff because what, what that means is we do part-time or full-time staff, which is 20 hours a week minimum or 40 hours a week. We charge monthly in advance and there's none of this like this month. We Everything's built in. So holidays, paid leave and all that are all Don't have to worry about annual leaves, long service leave. Uh, we do all of that. Public, public holidays. Super, blah, blah. any of that stuff. No. In the Philippines, Don't we pay. Don't have to collect pay, the tax, nothing. No. We do all of that. It's one fee every month and we auto bill it. So you don't even need to think about it. Mm. Um, if you miss the payment or something happens, we'll let you know, like we work with you. So it's pretty much set and forget. There's no lock-in contracts. It's a 30-day notice to cancel. The reason we do that is because, honestly, we want people to stay because they're loving it and getting success, not because they're forced in by a contract. Yeah. And sometimes small business runs into tricky issues and we, mm. you know, we work with people on that sort of thing as well. So... It's very, it's very easy to manage. That's pretty cool. Where do you go from here? So from here, so I've spent the last, so the first year, like I said, was very challenging, especially for me personally, because I realized there was, and I was also, um, I, I was trying to have a baby and I've since had a baby. So I, 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 this whole thing for me has been growing a business and growing a baby at the same time, which has been an interesting challenge as a female entrepreneur. Uh, but from here, so now we've built a platform that is highly scalable. Like, so one of the biggest challenges is matching supply and demand. Yeah. Because we don't recruit to brief. We actually just constantly fill our training programs in the Philippines. And then obviously we've got to bring the leads in the other side and the sales. But now we've got something where we know we can deliver on the brand promise. Um, because the brand promise is that you will not just get a VA, you'll actually get success with a VA and you'll get a team behind your VA that's trained and really focusing on longevity of client and success of the client. Um, and from here, we feel like we've got a really scalable model now. Our recruiting systems are working great. Our lead gen's working great. And we're expanding. We're, um, we've brought someone on in Ireland who's a salesperson who's going to be managing US and European sales for us now. And we've got a great guy in Australia who's doing sales for us down here. What is it about um, Ireland? They produce, um, in my experience of financial services, at least such good IT platform people in terms of financial services and such good financial services call centre people. Like, what is it? Why yeah. is Ireland so good at that? You know, the, the, that's a great question uh, because, look, for, for, all our, for all our tragic history and stuff that's happened in Ireland, one of the really key decision moves that happened, I think it was in the 80s, the government at the time recognised that we had a very um, young uh, population, Obviously, English is our, you know, is now our first language. So a very young um, population. English is the first language. We were the gateway to Europe. All the Americans coming in wanted to have, when the Euro sort of thing started taking off and the European Union, everybody wanted access to the European Union. The best way to do it was it was to do it through Ireland because we spoke the language. Um, the education system in Ireland is something that they focus very heavily on. So we had a very highly educated young workforce. And the government at the time dropped the corporate tax rate. It was one of the first countries, I think, to do this. And they dropped the corporate tax rate at the time for multinationals to 12%. To operate within the financial yeah, centre. To attract them to Ireland. And all these massive tech companies started arriving in Ireland. And then we had the tech boom, which drove, I mean, the country just exploded. That's how we became the Celtic Tiger. And then, and what a lot of, what's happened, a lot of those people have been exported to around the world Yeah, now. yeah. Because I, I know that... Well, I'm uh, here in Australia, I'm Irish. Absolutely. <laughs> well, no, but that's what sort of reminded me of it, because... Uh, I know that there are a lot of highly qualified people when it comes to platforming, IT stuff, uh, financial services generally, and that comes out of the financial services centre that you have in Dublin. Yeah. The um, government made good choices. Yeah, they did. To be fair to them. And they, they were really, I, I do think they invested heavily 
when they saw this move happening. Um, you know, pharmaceuticals was huge as well at, in the 90s. Uh, pharmaceutical companies coming in. So they really, the government sort of started investing heavily in tech colleges and encouraging more graduates in, or more more kids to go into tech. So we've ended up with a really highly technical um, workforce. And of I course, mean, no one ever stays in Ireland. Um, they always go somewhere else. But then they come back. They, they go back, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. But the diaspora of um, Irish... We the, travel. The, the, especially <laughs> the Irish Republic around the world is... Yeah, mental. Like they're everywhere. They reckon and there's 30 million Irish people globally, and there's like only four and four million in Ireland. So yeah, the rest yeah. of us no, are I've, all I have heard that, and yeah. and what's interesting about that is just as a phenomenon is that um, people are getting skilled up in places like Ireland, and then they are actually coming to a place like here in Australia, and they're becoming entrepreneurs, and they're actually saying, okay, I've learned all those skills in an investment bank or wherever it is I learned in your case. Um, I'm now going to make an. I'm going to apply those through. A, a, a platform technology application into mm. matching parties, and I think yeah, it's there's quite a brilliant. lot of that happening. I think yeah. it's quite brilliant. And uh, you know, my, our previous guest t- today um, was, has a sort of a similar outsourcing business, it's slightly different territory, but similar to what you're doing. And uh, I think outsourcing is the deconstruction of everything today is really important, and deconstruction for efficiency sake. And there is lots of opportunities for those people listening. There is lots of opportunities if you have a skill, if you can actually build that skill out in a multiplied applied fashion. In other words, I, let's say I'm a good – I'm not saying you were an executive assistant, but let's say you're an executive assistant and you got a good skill at that, Barbara. Mm. You said, okay, how can I make money out of this as opposed to just getting a wage for it? Well, how can I multiply my executive assistant skills? Well, what I'm going to do is going to get a whole lot of people, make them executive assistants for a much cheaper price and sell it yeah. to those people who need it. Well, this is also, and this I know that you'll be um, big on this topic, it's the difference between creating a job for yourself, working for yourself, which is a glorified job, mm. or actually building a business or a company. Yeah. So there, that's, a lot of people are actually just building glorified jobs for themselves yeah. that tie them and don't give them the freedom that you... I mean, none of us go into our own business to be working seven days a week, 24 hours a day, with never taking a holiday. But sadly, so many people are doing that in small business. And ending up with a lot of personal problems and, and, you know, like just not feeling good about life. Yeah. So really, it's, you've got to think, well, I want to build a business, which is a different thing. Yeah, you're in the business of EA as opposed to being in the business of, of as opposed to being an EA. That's, yeah. that's what you yeah. said. I'm going to be in the business of, of, of administrative assistance, whatever, what, and whatever form that's going to take. And I'm sure it's going to continue to evolve into a whole lot of other forms. And you know, you're going to go from, all these uh, things that you're currently doing, and over time it'll be something completely different probably in 10 or 15 years' time. Can I, for those people listening, I would like you to tell me something. Most people think, oh, isn't she lucky she's doing well? Or isn't he lucky, the previous guest, uh, Brendan? Isn't he doing, he's doing so yeah. well? <laughs> and I know you've already expressed that your first year was, a, <clears throat> excuse me, a very, very tough year. But for those people listening, what does it take in a personal sense to actually make this leap of faith and do this? Yep. Leave the cosy, comfortable job. Yep. I worked in corporate for 15 years. I was in asset management. I had the big salary. You know, I was in, I was a trader for 10 years. So I, you know, I, I had a wish to do my own thing. I always thought I want to build something. I want to create something. My first business that I started after leaving corporate, look, to be honest as well, I was doing a lot of investing as well. So I do that sort of on the side, which is also a business in itself. You got to think about it that way. Um, but I started a platform, again, online, because I was very interested in digital, called Energize Wealth. And it was designed, it's a platform, it's supposed to be a, spa- a beautiful space that looks like a Marie Claire magazine, 
for women that meets women at whatever stage they're at in their wealth journey. Because I wanted to make money more of a feminine topic because it's a bit of a masculine topic. So that's still there. I did an online TV show. I did lots of things, right? But I did a product launch online. So I launched a course. Now, anyone who's done this knows that it's extraordinarily difficult to get that right. It can cost a lot of money and Mm. it's a bit, you know, it's an emotional roller coaster. And that, it went okay, but I lost money on it, is the truth. And I went into a hole of depression for about three months after that because I just thought, you know, it was just the whole shame of not doing well and all of these things. And it was really out of the depths of that that I, I kind of had to do something. So a few people asked me, that's when I got into business coaching. And I thought, well, I'll just start doing this, you know, just while I think about what the hell I'm going to do. People pay me per hour. Yeah, and I thought, I don't, I don't know what I want to do. I don't really want to be a business coach, but people are asking me to do this. But from that journey, I discovered the problem. So the one thing about doing, you've got to try to know that whatever you start doing, you have to become a bit of a hunter and you've got to hunt out where is the real problem and what are people going to pay me money to do? Um, What problem can I solve for people right now? And often that problem is very different to what you think it's going to be yourself. And you've got to find that out. So I think it's a commitment to just... um, Keeping going. You've got to try stuff. Now where do you get the resilience from? Look, I'm a naturally, you know, I, I, I'm very lucky. I came from a family. I've got a strong family background. I was always, my mom, I remember her always telling me, you can do anything you want to do. So I have a very strong inherent belief in myself. It's not an ego thing. It's more just a, I'll keep fighting until I find the answer. Um, and there, there has to be a moment where you're going to give up and change tack as well. Um, I think, yeah, the resilience, it comes from being a bit of a hunter. I know that's my personality type. For people who don't have that, I think you know it in your heart. And if you're not like that and you're not willing to to turn every stone to find the answer, then maybe this entrepreneurial thing might not be for you because it's not an easy game, right? It's not like you just come up with something and bang, you've got a massive business. It, you know, entrepreneurship is, is a tough game and anyone that's been successful will tell you that, that you've got to turn every stone and, and try nothing, a lot of stuff. And there's nothing wrong with not being an entrepreneur. Nothing wrong with that at all. And sometimes I think to myself, what have I done? Yes. Would it not well, have been easier? Funny, like, it's funny <laughs> because sometimes you think to yourself, oh, I think to myself, oh, what would happen if I hadn't have gone and done the things I've done? And would I have sort of maybe been running a bank perhaps now and earning mm. probably the same sort of money? Um, you know, yeah, and maybe a lot more the, holidays along the way. Correct, <laughs> and, and without any of the, the – there's not as much personal stress. You still would yeah. worry about the business because you have a job to do. But It's prom- different, yeah. But it's not your money. It's and, totally different. It's I mean, not the, your reputation at the end. The sleepless nights. I mean, I have struggled with this. You know, this is one of the things I, I know that, you know, you'd be talking to listeners about. I mean, there are the sleepless nights. And no matter how resilient you are, you wake up at two o'clock in the morning and you just have the fear. And it yeah. doesn't matter how strong you are. But it's about one of the things that has helped me is I've surrounded myself with a few other, mostly female. I've got a couple of male. They're not coaches. They're not mentors. They're, they're just people who are Mate. going at the same rate that I am. And I know that they're suffering the same things. And we, we talk. You have to talk because to someone because it's a lonely game. Yeah. yeah. That's, I think that's the best description of it. It's very lonely doing it. lonely. Very lonely. You're not alone. You, don't get, you're, you are alone. Mm. It's not lonely in that you have people you can talk to, but you're alone. Yeah. It's all your problem. And social media doesn't help because no. everyone's going, oh, I just won this big contract. and you know, There's all this stuff on social mm. media. One of the things that I've actually committed to this year for myself is to be really real on social media. 
I've decided to come out and be really real about what's actually happening because a lot of people just see the exterior of what I'm doing and it looks like success and, and it is, but there's the challenges, you know. So I actually come out and just make posts on social media. I did one yesterday saying, you know, after about two months of like, we've I've had to make some really big decisions in the Philippines, you know, around legal employment law and stuff over there that I just never thought I'd be doing. And I've been literally like furrowed brow and tight face for about two months trying to deal with it. And, you know, now we've made the decisions and I feel lighter again. But it was a two month kind of journey with that. So, yeah, like, you know, I'm just going to tell people that's what I, that's why I haven't been on social media for two months. Sometimes you have, feel like the sword of Damocles is hanging over your neck or the whole time. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, and that's, the, by the way, that's what you just said is probably a good way of expressing what the mentor, the show's about. It's actually about seeing, getting the fabric of small business owners. What, what actually is going on, like, as opposed to all the bullshit stuff where they're saying, yeah. oh, wow, we did this, we did, we're growing great. Everybody who's been a guest on this show, you know, from Luke Mangan to all sorts of people who, you know, who everyone, you know, puts up there on a pedestal, including me. They put, put yeah. you up there on a pedestal. Um, I'm happy, and these other guests have all been happy, including you today, to say to people listening to the show, it is very, very tough to be an entrepreneur, and it is probably 2% success, successes and the other 98 times is doing it tough. And it's anxiety. The anxiety yeah, is correct. just... And I'm a strong person. I know myself. I never really, I, I, I haven't suffered from depression and these things, but I certainly have since I started my own business, you know, and I had a baby at the same time. So for women out there who may be thinking, you know, you know, I'm very passionate about teaching women in particular, how to say, you know, you don't have to work yourself into the bone. You can run a successful business and be a successful mother as well. You know, there's no reason why we can't do this. And together. enjoy it at the same time. And enjoy it. Yeah. Now, okay, there's the anxiety of entrepreneurship. But, you know, I'll give you an example. I mean, I delegate a lot, clearly, because that's my business model. Um, because the big job I want to do right now is to be a mom. Yeah. Like, that's the big job I want to do. So I have a nanny that comes in the afternoon to help me out for a few hours. And that's when I work. But my mornings usually, apart from I'm in here chatting with you, is with my daughter. You should have brought your daughter in. How old is she? She's nine months. I ah, should have brought her in. She's hilarious. Yeah. What's her name? <laughs> Ruby. Ruby. Oh, great yeah. name. She's I love fantastic. a little. I love little girls. It would have been great to bring her. It would have made our day actually. Well, she was still asleep when I left, so I thought, okay, she was awake a bit last night. Hey, should have brought. She we're going under the show this morning. Could have brought upstairs. So the, the boys upstairs in the grill team. They they need a little bit of uh, sort she of softening so up, a bit of gentleness. <laughs> that would have been great. I would love it because it's a very boy jointy. Our studios here. There's quite very boy jointy. I always give everyone an opportunity to ask me one question, Barbara. Do you have a question you'd like to ask? I do, actually, yeah. So one of the things I've been struggling with, and again, this is kind of an emotional thing, I think, more than anything, is like now we're at this time when I want, I, you know, I've got a big strategy going to scale this business. But I know in my heart, I don't think I'm thinking big enough. Like, so, so I know we can, you know, I've got competitors that have thousands of people in the Philippines. And like, you know, we our goal is to have a thousand people by year five. And, you know, we're on track for that. It's just part of me wonders, there's always a question in my mind about, oh, when you get really big, like if we were to go big, 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 that my life is just going to be over. And that doesn't necessarily, I, I think it's because I've, I haven't done that yet. So I have a fear about that. Can I, I ask wonder, you the question? Can I ask you a back? question? Yeah. Um, um, when you say your life is over, do you mean you're going to be working all the time? Is that what you mean? It feels like it's just going to be so much, like a huge business is going to be a massive headache. Is which, it risk? Is it risk you're talking about? No, I don't mind risk. I don't mind the risk part. It's more the the, the people um, demanding of me. So maybe I will all of a sudden be um, 
you know, maybe just work to the bone because, you know, you've got to manage all these people and all these different things going on. And I don't know whether I want to do that. Mm, that's a good question. But I would like to grow the big business, though. Mm, but I don't know if I want to be well, the person. You, you, to, you won't be able to grow the big business unless you take on the other part. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, and, and look, I often say this, um, there's a lot of sacrifices to be made in growing a big business. Yeah. And... You know, like I'm, I'm one who's, you talk about emotional stuff, I'm one who's been through it where I've, you know, I've been divorced twice. I've, my, my last relationship broke up mainly because of my business, the, you know, how hard it works. So not, and, and the amount of attention I give to my business. So sometimes um, you've got to make the right decisions for yourself. Um, maybe instead of trying to grow it fast, you grow it a bit more slowly mm. and uh, because you've got a young baby now. And, uh, and I'd like to have I, another one. And I obviously just, got a hubby as well. And, yeah. Uh, so you you got to sort of there's a lot of stuff to manage there. A lot of things are really demanding too on your time. So I don't I'm not sure if you can if you grow a big business, it's going to drag you. It, it has like it's a bit like uh, the moon is as to the earth, and the earth is as to the sun. The bigger thing will always draw the smaller thing in, and uh, you end up revolving around it. That's yeah. sort of like it's sort of like the law of gravity. So I think actually that's that's been really great to hear because mm. I think a lot of it is the, you know, and as you know, if we're all kind of high achiever type people, you struggle with the, it's, it is an ego thing. You think, oh, I want to have that massive It is ego, 100%. 100%, right? And it's me sort of saying, I've got to fight that because actually what I want more in my heart is to have, you know, it's, there's a certain lifestyle I want to live and I, you know, I'm in my 40s now and I think I want to, you know, I don't really want to go. I was in corporate for so long where it was so demanding and so heavy. I don't want to go back to that. So I've got to try and balance those two things and make sure that the business that I grow serves what I really want and not what my ego is pushing me to do. I, I think perhaps you you can always achieve your ego, but maybe mm. you just push your horizons out a bit further and, yeah. and sort of average it out. I mean, instead of trying to do it by year five, I think you said, uh, maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe there's nothing wrong with having, if it's paying you well, if the business gives yeah. you a living, and it you know, pays the bills and you're enjoying what you're doing and it allows you to have a nanny in the afternoon and still have time to raise your kid and have another child and have a happy life, maybe just move the horizons out a little further and you can still have a... And be happy, totally at peace with that. I think that's yeah, the... that's yeah, the point. Grow consistently month on month rather than trying to do these massive bursts. Correct. Well, the only, thing that, the only thing that gets up, says, says, no, you better go fast because you think someone's going to catch you or someone's going to take your place or someone's going to um, remove you from where you are and you're going to lose market share. Um, that's the only risk you run, um, and there's no solution to that. Um, you you know, have to be forever think, vigilant, that's all. You know what I think about that? People have often said to me, you're not afraid of competitors doing what you're doing, and I've said, you know what, first of all, in what I'm doing, there is a lot of business out there, and I don't think any one company can actually service all of it. Like, there's huge companies doing it mm. out there. But also, I would challenge anyone to try this business because it is a HR, it's a people business, and our, you know, our thing is people, and with that comes a lot of headaches. And you've already so, got a head start on everyone too. Yeah, I would challenge anyone. I mean, I know what it was like to start that in the beginning. Then and, you answer um, the question. Yeah. So I think, yeah, off you go. <laughs> That's what I always say to people. Yeah, no, Feel free. <laughs> you've answered your question. The The question is um, just perhaps move the horizons out further, slow the pace down a little bit. You can still get your 5,000, 10,000 staff one day. I'm sure that will be the case. And uh, at the same time, have another child and have a good time. Yeah. Thank you very much. But you look like you're on top of it. Yeah. Well, I am at the moment. This is the thing. Yeah. I'm in a really good place right now. The business yeah. is firing. It's pumping. I, you know, I'm not even client facing. So I just concentrate on growing the, the company, which is what I really want to do. 
uh, yeah, and I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose that because I'm in a good place right now. No, so. I can just. T- I get it. I get that sense that you're uh, on top of it. You got it. Really nice to meet you, Barbara. You too. Thanks so much for having me on the show. You're welcome. This has been the Mentor with Mark Burris. You can follow Mark on LinkedIn.